Welcome to Dreamful Podcast, bedtime stories for slumber. A lot of work goes into the making of the show, and we are keeping this podcast entirely ad-free. So if you would like to support our show, you can make a donation at patreon.com slash dreamfulpodcast. Another way you can help us out is by simply telling someone about it or just taking a few seconds to leave a rating and review. I hope our show brings value to your life, and spreading the word really helps us to reach other people, like you, who love good bedtime stories. Okay, enough of that. Halloween is right around the corner, so I am treating you to a spooky tale called The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. This was one of my favorite ghost stories growing up, so I'm very excited to tell it to you. So, snuggle up in your blankets and have sweet dreams. In an odd corner of American history, there was an unfortunate gentleman by the name of Ichabod Crane who lived in Sleepy Hollow for the purpose of instructing the children of the schoolhouse. He was tall but exceedingly lank, with narrow shoulders, long arms and legs, hands that dangled a mile out of his sleeves, feet that might have served for shovels, and his whole frame most loosely hung together. His head was small and flat at top, with huge ears, large green glassy eyes, and a long nose. To see him striding along the profile of a hill on a windy day, one might have mistaken him for a scarecrow that had escaped from a cornfield. The revenue arising from his school was small, and would have been scarcely sufficient to furnish him with daily bread, for he ate quite a lot, and though slim, had the dilating powers of an anaconda. To help out his maintenance, he was, according to country custom in those parts, boarded and lodged at the houses of the farmers, whose children he instructed. With these he lived successively a week at a time, thus going the rounds of the neighborhood, with all his worldly belongings tied up in a cotton handkerchief. From his half-traveling life, also, he was a kind of nomadic gazette, carrying the whole budget of local gossip from house to house, so that his appearance was always greeted with satisfaction. He was, moreover, esteemed by the women as a man of great education, for he had read several books quite through, and was a perfect master of Cotton Mather's History of New England Witchcraft, in which, by the way, he most firmly and potently believed. He was, in fact, an odd mixture of small smartness and simple gullibility. His appetite for the marvelous and his powers of digesting it were equally extraordinary, 
and both had been increased by his residence in this spellbound region. No tale was too gross or monstrous for his capacious swallow. It was often his delight, after his school was dismissed in the afternoon, to stretch himself on the rich bed of clover, bordering the little brook that whimpered by his schoolhouse, and there con over old Mather's direful tales, until the gathering dusk of the evening made the printed page a mere mist before his eyes. Then, as he wended his way, by swamp and stream and awful woodland to the farmhouse where he happened to be quartered, every sound of nature, at that witching hour, fluttered his excited imagination. The moan of the whippoorwill from the hillside, the boding cry of the tree toad, that harbinger of storm, the dreary hooting of the screech owl, or the sudden rustling in the thicket of birds frightened from the roost. The fireflies, too, which sparkled most vividly in the darkest places, would now and then startle him as they crossed his path. His only resource on such occasions, either to drown thought or drive away evil spirits, was to sing tunes, and the good people of Sleepy Hollow, as they sat by their doors of an evening, were often filled with awe at hearing his nasal melody floating from the distant hill or along the dusky road. All these, however, were mere terrors of the night, phantoms of the mind that walk in darkness, and though he had seen many specters in his time, in his lonely preambulations, Daylight put an end to all these evils, and he would have passed a pleasant life of it, in despite of the devil and all his works, if his path had not been crossed by a being that causes more perplexity to mortal men than ghosts, goblins, and the whole race of witches put together. And that was a woman. Among the musical disciples who assembled each week to receive his instructions in music, was Katrina Van Tassel, the daughter and only child of a substantial Dutch farmer. She was a blooming lass of fresh eighteen, plump as a partridge and rosy-cheeked as one of her father's peaches, and universally famed, not merely for her beauty, but her vast expectations. She wore a charming dress with the ornaments of pure yellow gold, and withal a short petticoat to display the prettiest foot and ankle in the country round. As the enraptured Ichabod fancied all this, and as he rolled his great green eyes over the fat meadowlands, the rich fields of wheat, of rye, of buckwheat, and Indian corn, and the orchards burthened with ruddy fruit, which surrounded the warm tenement of Van Tassel, his heart yearned after the damsel who was to inherit these domains, and his imagination expanded with the idea how they might be readily turned into cash, and the money invested in immense tracts of wild land and shingle palaces in the wilderness. Nay, his busy fancy already realized his hopes and presented to him the blooming Katrina with a whole family of children 
mounted on the top of a wagon loaded with a household trumpery, with pots and kettles dangling beneath, and he saw himself bestriding a pacing mare, with a colt at her heels, setting out for Kentucky, Tennessee, or Lord knows where. Much to Ichabod's delight, the Van Tassel family had invited him to a party that afternoon at their home. Ichabod was suited by the Van Ripper family with an old horse named Gunpowder. He rode with short stirrups, which brought his knees nearly up to the pommel of the saddle. His sharp elbows stuck out like grasshoppers. He carried his whip in his hand like a scepter, and as his horse jogged on, The motion of his arms was not unlike the flapping of a pair of wings. A small wool hat rested on the top of his nose, for so his scanty strip of a forehead might be called, and the skirts of his black coat fluttered out almost to the horse's tail. Such was the appearance of Ichabod and his steed, as they shambled out of the gate of Hans Van Ripper and it was altogether such an apparition as is seldom to be met in broad daylight. It was a fine autumn all day. The sky was clear and serene, and nature wore that rich and golden livery which we always associate with the idea of abundance. The forests had put on their sober brown and yellow, while some trees of the tender kind had been nipped by the frosts into brilliant dyes of orange, purple, and scarlet. Streaming files of wild ducks began to make their appearance high in the air. The bark of the squirrel might be heard from the groves of beech and hickory nuts, and the pensive whistle of the quail at intervals from the neighboring stubble field. Ichabod was feeling quite giddy at the prospect of winning Katrina's heart that evening. That is, until his rival Brom Bones arrived on the scene. Brom Bones had come to the gathering on his favorite steed, Daredevil, a creature like himself, full of metal and mischief. He was, in fact, noted for preferring vicious animals, given to all kinds of tricks. Katrina and the other young girls asked Brom to recount his adventure with the Headless Horseman who he claims had chased him one night through the forest before vanishing at the churchyard. The prevalence of supernatural stories in these parts was doubtless owing to the vicinity of Sleepy Hollow. There was a pollution in the very air that blew from that haunted region. It breathed forth an atmosphere of dreams and fancies infecting all the land. Several of the Sleepy Hollow people were present at Van Tassel's, and, as usual, were doling out their wild and wonderful legends. Many dismal tales were told about funeral trains and mourning cries and wailing heard and seen about the great tree where the unfortunate Major Andre was taken. Some mention was made, also, of the woman in white that haunted the dark glen at Raven Rock and was often heard to shriek on winter nights before a storm, having perished there in the snow. The chief part of the stories, including Brombones' tale, 
turned upon the favorite ghost of Sleepy Hollow, the Headless Horseman, who had been heard several times of late, patrolling the country, and, it was said, tethered his horse nightly among the graves in the churchyard. After the party, Ichabod mounted his horse and set to return home. In the night air, he was startled at many strange sounds from the surrounding forest. All the stories of ghosts and goblins that he had heard in the afternoon now came crowding upon his recollection. The night grew darker and darker, the stars seemed to sink deeper in the sky, and driving clouds occasionally hid them from his sight. He had never felt so lonely and miserable, so he began to sing a tune. He was approaching the very place where many of the scenes of ghost stories had been laid. In the center of the road stood an enormous tulip tree, which towered like a giant above all the other trees of the neighborhood, and formed a kind of landmark. Its limbs were gnarled and fantastic, large enough to form trunks for ordinary trees twisting down almost to the earth and rising again into the air. His attention, though, on the magnificent tree was interrupted by the faint sound of horse hooves. Only moments later, the galloping became clear. Ichabod, with his thoughts returning to the stories of the headless horseman Brom Bones had boasted about earlier, Ichabod now quickened his steed in hopes of leaving him behind. The stranger, however, quickened his horse to an equal pace. Ichabod pulled up and slowed to a walk, thinking to lag behind. The other did the same. His heart began to sink within him. He attempted to resume his tune, but his parched tongue stuck to the roof of his mouth, and he could not utter a sound. There was something in the moody and dogged silence of this persistent rider that was mysterious and appalling. It was soon fearfully accounted for, on mounting a rising ground which brought the figure of his fellow traveler in relief against the sky, gigantic in height and muffled in a cloak. Ichabod was horror-struck on perceiving that he was headless but his horror was still more increased on observing that the head, which should have rested on his shoulders, was carried before him on the pommel of the saddle. His terror rose to desperation. He rained a shower of kicks and blows upon gunpowder, hoping by a sudden movement to give his companion the slip. But the specter started full jump with him. Away then they dashed, through thick and thin, Stones flying and sparks flashing at every bound. Ichabod's flimsy garments fluttered in the air as he stretched his long, lanky body away over the horse's head in the eagerness of his flight. An opening in the trees now cheered him with the hopes that the church bridge was at hand. The wavering reflection of a silver star in the water of the brook told him that he was not mistaken he saw the ghostly competitor had disappeared. If I can reach that bridge, thought Ichabod, I am safe. Just then, he heard the black steed panting and blowing close behind him. 
Another kick in the ribs, and old gunpowder sprang upon the bridge. He thundered over the resounding planks. He gained the opposite side, and now Ichabod cast a look behind to see if his pursuer should vanish, according to rule, in a flash of fire and brimstone. Just then, he saw the ghost rising in his stirrups, and in the very act of hurling his head at him. Ichabod endeavored to dodge the horrible missile, but too late. It met his own head with a tremendous crash. He was tumbled headlong into the dust, and gunpowder and the headless rider on his black steed passed by like a whirlwind. The next morning, the old horse Gunpowder was found without his saddle, and with the bridle under his feet, soberly cropping the grass at his master's gate. Ichabod did not make his appearance at breakfast. Dinner hour came, but no Ichabod. The boys assembled at the schoolhouse and strolled idly about the banks of the brook, but no schoolmaster. Hans van Ripper now began to feel some uneasiness about the fate of poor Ichabod and his saddle. An inquiry was set on foot, and after diligent investigation they came upon his traces. In one part of the road leading to the church was found the saddle trampled in the dirt, the tracks of horses' hooves deeply dented in the road, and evidently at furious speed were traced to the bridge, beyond which on the bank of a broad part of the brook, where the water ran deep and black, was found the hat of the unfortunate Ichabod, and close beside it, a shattered pumpkin. The mysterious event caused much speculation at the church on the following Sunday. Knots of gazers and gossips were collected in the churchyard, at the bridge, and at the spot where the hat and pumpkin had been found. The stories of the Headless Horsemen, as told by Brom Bones, and a whole budget of others were called to mind, and when they had diligently considered them all, and compared them with the present case, they shook their heads and came to the conclusion that Ichabod had been carried off by the galloping horsemen. There are others, however, who upheld that Ichabod Crane was still alive, that he had left the neighborhood partly in mortification at having been suddenly dismissed by the heiress Katrina, and that he had moved in the night to a distant part of the country. Brom Bones, too, who shortly after Ichabod's disappearance, wed Katrina, was observed to look exceedingly knowing whenever the story of Ichabod was retold, and always burst into a hearty laugh at the mention of the pumpkin, which led some to suspect that he knew more about the matter than he chose to tell. The old country wives, however, who are the best judges of these matters, maintain to this day that Ichabod was spirited away by supernatural means, and it is a favorite story often told about the neighborhood round the winter evening fire. The bridge became more than ever an object of superstitious awe and that may be the reason why the road has been altered of late years, so as to approach the church by the border of the mill pond. 
the schoolhouse being deserted, soon fell to decay and was reported to be haunted by the ghost of the unfortunate teacher. And the plowboy, loitering homeward of a still summer evening, has often heard his voice at a distance, chanting a melancholy tune among the tranquil solitudes of Sleepy Hollow.
Thank you.